0: As I've said, that's a big question that we can't begin to answer in fullness in three weeks together. But we've tried to at least attempt to answer that question by looking at the words of Peter in his letter, in his first letter. Because that's really what Peter's doing in that letter is he's, he's writing it to people that he calls those who are elect exiles. And, you know, as I've said in the last few weeks, that it's, that's such a strange combination of words because it's, it, you know, denotes those who are chosen by God, who belong to Him, who are redeemed, who are His, but it also this word exiles, those who are actually um, outcasts. And what Peter is really saying is that he's writing to those who are, they're not what they once were, that they're now a new creation, but they're not yet what they one day will be. And that's who we are. And he's, and he's telling them, this is how you live in the world. And what we've seen is he starts off with hope. That he says that you're people who live with hope. Because Jesus came here. And Jesus died. And Jesus rose again. And when he rose again, he gave you an inheritance that will not fade away. It's undefiled. It's kept for you in heaven. And he said, because of that, you live as people who have hope. And then the, the next week, we looked at the fact that because of Jesus, that we're people who want to be like him. That Peter talks a lot about holiness, and we talked about how that's a scary word, but really all it is is longing for what you already want, which is to be without sin. To be without all the things in the world that make this world bad. To look more like Jesus. And we said that along with that, to look like Jesus means that we'll be people who are hospitable, in the truest sense of the word, that we open ourselves up, that we're people who look outward just like our God does. And then today we're coming to this last point that Peter really I think drives home in this letter is humility that as Christians we live in the world as, as those who are humble and so let's look today at his word and and see really what what does that mean and uh, what can we learn from this today 1 Peter chapter 5 verses 5 through 11 if you have your bible you can turn there it's also printed for you in the bulletin this is God's word likewise you who are younger Be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him, because He cares for you. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. forever and ever amen. Let me pray and ask God to bless his word this morning to us. Heavenly Father, we gather here today as a people who are often distracted by simply maybe what happened this morning, uh, a conversation over breakfast, an argument in the car. Um, even as we come to worship you that that often our minds are far off. And and Father, we pray that this morning that you, would, that you would speak to us by Your Spirit through Your Word. And Father, that You would, you would allow those this morning who are here maybe asking for the first time, could, could this be true? Could the good news of Jesus actually um, be a real thing? Father, would you, would you answer that this morning for them? For those of us who have grown up in the church, who have long heard the message of Jesus, Father and who maybe have grown to a point where we feel maybe not our need as much, would You, would you show us our need for Him this morning, that it never diminishes? Father, we pray for, for all of those here this morning. We pray that You would teach us what it means to look like Jesus in humility. Father, it's not something that at all comes natural to us. And so it in us, we ask, Father, um, so that we might be a, a light to the world, that they might see us, and when they see us, that they would long for Jesus. We ask this in His name, Amen. When I was a, a freshman in college, I, I went to this Bible study that was put on um, by Ruf. But the guy who was teaching this Bible study was he was um, he didn't work for Ruf; he was a volunteer. And I remember that he was very he was a very impressive person. He he looked good. He dressed well. He spoke well. You know, he was obviously he was a he was a medical resident. So he was obviously smart, but he was also very knowledgeable about the word. He drove this really nice black BMW. I remember that. And I remember thinking that this guy, I mean, he really he had a, a beautiful girlfriend. I mean, he really he seemed to have the entire package. And if any if anybody should be you know, proud of their accomplishments and who they were. There was no doubt that this guy should have been. But the thing that, that struck me about him was that he wasn't proud. In fact, when you were with him, he really, he he made you feel very important. He, he just wasn't boastful or arrogant in any way. And that all kind of came um, to my attention one night after we had a Bible study at his house. We were sitting around talking afterwards, and then as we started to leave, um, we go out and we see that his beautiful black BMW had the window smashed in on it. And upon further inspection, the radio was gone. There was a few things stolen from the car. And as he, as we tell him and he comes out to see it, his, his first reaction was to kind of go around and look at everyone else's car to make sure everyone else's car was all right. And I'm like, oh, my goodness you know i mean i was furious somebody somebody stole your radio they bashed in your window and he was more he was really more concerned about about us there there's something about humility there's something about christian humility that when you're around it it has a peacefulness about it right That the thing that's absent from those who are humble is actually anxiety. That those who are humble are are, are not ones sort of running around anxiously, but there's actually a steadfastness to them. There's actually a peace about them. And I don't think that that's just a coincidence when we look at the passage that we looked at this morning. We know that Peter, the writer of this, of all people that God chose to write these words, he chose Peter. Peter was not naturally humble. We have a full record of Peter's life in the Gospels, and Peter um, was always sort of obnoxiously prideful. Peter had to learn humility. Peter had to be continually humbled. And I think what we learn by that is that humility is, is a work of the Gospel in our lives. That it's not, it's not one of those things that we kind of go, they really have the gift of humility, Right? Oh, that person is really humble. They're very gifted in that area. That's not what the Bible teaches at all. The Bible instead teaches, and we see that in this passage, he says that all of you are to clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. That humility is something that all of us are called to. It's something that's expected of all of us. And so this morning, if it's it's really that important, if this is one of the marks of how we live in the world... As believers, let's, let's ask a few questions. That, and the first one is, what is humility? How does Peter say that humility grows in us? How, how are we changed? And then what is the result of that? What is humility? I, I think it's probably fair to say that when the world looks at Christianity and you know sees the different things about Christianity that Christians are called to, humility is probably not one of the things that the world is very impressed with. You know, when Christians take care of the poor, or Christians help relief and disaster and things like that, the world cheers for us. But when you talk about humility, you kind of get sort of uh, raised eyebrows. Like, what is that all about? When Peter wrote this letter, in fact, this word humility in Roman literature and in ancient literature had not... Been used in a way that, was, that, that he was using it. In fact, it was usually used in a derogatory way. Those people are humble, almost like they're, they're lowly. Um, those people are maybe what we would say homely. That it was used always to kind of talk down about somebody. And Peter is coming to us and speaking about this in an entirely different way. See, their society was a lot like our society. Their society, you know, praised self reliance. Don't we love self-reliance? Their society praised self-sufficiency. Those who, you know, work their way to the top, those who, you know, succeed beyond what is expected of them are those who are strong and those who we love to praise. They're the ones we love to admire. And Peter's coming and saying, but you're a new humanity. You're a new community that Jesus is forming. And this new, the mark, one of the marks of this new community is Humility that humility speaks about the sort of upside-down nature of the kingdom of God, that it's very different than what the world looks like. And in order to kind of dig deeper into that and say, what, what is this humility? I think we need to look at this in the context of the proverb that he quotes, that Peter says that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Now, why does God oppose the proud? That may seem like a simple question, but let's think about it for just a second. Why does God oppose the proud? Well, he opposes the proud because at the heart of pride, what pride really is, is playing God, is putting yourself in the place of God. That the very first sin we see in the garden is, is Adam and Eve displaying the sort of pride that they want to usurp God. They want to take over that throne, that they want to be the ones who know, be the ones who are in control. And so what pride is, at the very heart of pride, is playing God. It's saying, I don't need help. I'm very capable, you know, on my own. And so another way that I think you could say this is that, is that God opposes the proud because the proud oppose Him. That the proud, proud people hate grace. And we know something about this, don't we? Proud people don't like charity, right? Proud people don't like to be given something because they don't because they're not capable of getting it on their own. And so, pride opposes the help of God. It it, it opposes the grace of God. And I don't know about you, but I know all about that. <laughs> and I would love to pass that off as sort of like a you know, um, male sort of trait. You know, we we kind of joke about guys don't like to stop and ask for help, ask for directions, all those kind of things. And you're like, oh, yeah, that's I'm sort of like that too. Aren't we just all, you know, normal guys? Well, no. Oftentimes, I don't like to ask for help because I'm proud. And, you know, I, I saw this recently. I could give you a lot of examples. Recently, I was working on a project, I resumed a project that had had sort of lain fallow for um, for two years. And it was a bathroom restoration. And when I say that this project had lain fallow for two years, it means that the toilet was sitting in the bathtub for two years, okay? There was nothing, it wasn't like aging or I was sort of working up a big game plan. It's just that it wasn't being worked on at all. It just sat there for two years. And so as I resumed this project, I'm in there, you know, caulking and grouting and all those kind of things. And I'm thinking, why have I not done anything with this? I don't think I'm lazy necessarily, probably so in some ways, but I don't think that that's really it. And what I realized as I'm sitting there working is that I just don't like to ask for help. I want to be able to finish it and say, I finished it. I want to be able to do it and say, I did it. I want to be able to point to the finished product and claim the glory for it. I don't want to call a plumber. You know, I want to be the plumber. I don't want to call an electrician. I want to be, you know, all of those things I want to do myself. God opposes the proud because the proud trust in themselves. The proud live as if God does not exist. And we're all very capable of that. But Peter says he opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble what does that mean? Does this mean that when you first read that, you're kind of struck by it and say, does this mean that God gives grace to the humble? So I'll try to be humble so that God will give grace to me. No, because then it wouldn't be grace anymore. The definition of grace is that it's something that cannot be earned. And so your humility is not what earns you grace. So what is he saying? He's saying that basically that grace by, that, um, that the proud refuse grace, that they hate the idea of grace because it offends their ego. But the humble love grace. The humble love grace, because grace is an answer to everything that they need. Because the humble say, the humble are one who ones who say, I cannot do it. And God is right there answering their cry. I think we could say that the very The very essence of Christianity, at the very heart of Christianity, is humility. It's it's saying that you cannot do it. It's saying that I cannot make my life meaningful. I've tried in a lot of different ways, I've bought a lot of things, I've explored a lot of options, and I cannot make my life meaningful. It's saying I cannot necessarily be a good enough husband or a good enough father. I can't do it well enough to where it's satisfying. I can't do it well enough to where I'm praised enough for it. The little bit of praise I get, I just want more. I cannot accomplish enough to satisfy that void that's within me. I can accomplish and accomplish and accomplish, but it's still not enough. And the humble are the ones who are saying, who are laying that down and saying, I need something else. I need mercy, I need grace. I need help. So humility is repenting from stubbornly trying to fix ourselves. And it's instead, it's rejoicing in the grace that Jesus offers us. This is, why, this is why God loves the humble. This is why He gives grace to the humble. Because they're, the humble are the ones who are most satisfied in Him. The ones who need Him the most. That sounds good. How do we get that, right? How do we get humility? And there's sort of a catch to that, isn't there? I mean, because if you set out to get humility, you're not going to get it. (laughs) I mean, if you go out seeking humility, all you're really doing is seeking to appear humble, which in the end is all about how you appear and is really based in pride. So you can't really go out looking for humility because then you just kill it in the process. You know, humility is not sort of like, feeling humble, and then, like, updating your, you know, Facebook status about how humble you feel today. And that, by, in, in very essence, is sort of, like, goes against what humility is really about. Instead, Peter shows us, and, and this is beautiful, and maybe confusing at first, that Peter shows us that humility is the byproduct of something else. That humility happens while something else is going on. Humility occurs not because you're intentionally seeking it, but it occurs because you're seeking something else. In verse 6, he sort of gives kind of the thesis of this. Verse 6 and 7. He gives us this command. He says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. And then he tells us what that looks like. Humble yourselves in the mighty hand of God, and He says, "Casting all your anxieties upon Him, because He cares for you." Now, some versions, if you're looking at some Bibles, they might put a period after six before seven, and it, that doesn't—that shouldn't really be there, because what verse seven is is really, if you can think back to grammar class, it's a subordinate clause. And you remember what a subordinate clause was? No, <laughs> the subordinate clause. It just describes the main clause. It just, it basically is telling you what it's further, you know, describing what the main clause is about. And so the subordinate clause is sort of, if I said, um, you should all eat in a healthy way, devouring your fruits and vegetables, devouring your fruits and vegetables tells you what eating in a healthy way is like, right? We could debate whether that's true or not, um, but you see what I mean? And so Peter's saying, humble yourselves. How? How? What does that look like? Casting all your anxieties upon him. Casting all your anxieties upon him. So, what Peter's is saying is that, that the heart of humility is putting your anxiety, and this is very tangible, is putting your anxieties upon God. It means that at all times and in all places, you're, you're putting your burdens on him, that you're placing yourself. I love that imagery. Humble yourselves where? Under the mighty hand of God. The hand that in the Old Testament we see described sort of moving through history. Where we see doing all of these things. He's saying humble yourselves under that hand. The hand that fashioned and formed the world. Humility is admitting that you really can't do it. And it's looking at the one who can it's trusting in the one you can. And now, how are we supposed to do that? How does that... And you, say, you may say, that doesn't occur naturally to me. That doesn't, and it does it to me either. Um, to, I want to solve my own problems. But to humble ourselves is to come to the point, is maybe to come to our wit's end where we say we can't, and to look at the one who can. And the only way that we can do that is we believe the last part of that subordinate clause. Because he cares for you. Cast your anxieties upon Him. Why? Why would you give your anxieties to somebody who didn't care for you? Peter's saying the very reason that you can give your anxieties to Him is because He cares for you. Because He loves you. And the more that we believe that He actually cares for us, the more that we'll turn to Him when we're tired, when we're ashamed, when we're scared, when we're anxious, when we're humiliated. And if we don't believe that He cares, the very root of pride is not believing that He cares. Because it sends us back into a cycle to saying, well, He doesn't care, so I'm going to do it myself. And so Peter very wisely writes, because He cares for you, how do we know He cares for us? We could go into a long discourse on that. I'm not going to do it, but just go and read Philippians chapter 2. That Jesus came in the flesh, and what did He do? He humbled Himself for you. That He took on the form of a servant. That He humbled Himself under the mighty hand of God. That He said, you know, not My will be done, but Your will be done. And He did it for you and me. That He humbled Himself for you and me. And when when you begin to be enamored with that Jesus, when you believe that that He cares for you, then you begin to give Him your anxieties. You begin to give Him your worries. You begin to give Him your burdens and your cares. So true humility, does not, it doesn't come by looking at yourself. It comes from looking at Jesus and, and being so captivated by Him that you believe He cares for you to such a degree that you naturally, instinctually give your anxieties to Him. And when you're not always thinking about your anxieties, you know what the byproduct of that is, that you're free. That you're free to not be thinking all the time about how to solve your own problems. And that's the result, isn't it? I mean, if we... And this is my last question. What is the result of that? What is the result of humility in the life of the believer? Well, if the center of humility is casting your anxieties upon Jesus, then the natural result... Of humility, it has to be joy. It has to be joy. A few weeks ago, I was um, I took my kids hiking, and we I picked a hike that was much too long and difficult for them um, because I wanted to test them. No, it's just because we were. Um, I, I realized this about a mile in because my five year old who's a wonderful, who may be in the room right now, so I'll say he was a wonderful, lovely, strapping young lad who is very strong. He, he, he brought his backpack, and he had water in it and a towel. We were going to a waterfall. We were going to swim in it. And um, about a mile in, that backpack, which, you know, probably weighed all of three pounds, began to weigh on his shoulders, and he began to pull at the backpack, and he began to lag behind a little bit. At one point, I heard the backpack dragging along the ground, I hear the octave, you know, the octave of his, the pitch of his voice starts to go up a little bit into that wine, that familiar wine. It's hot. I'm tired. This thing's heavy. And so when I first, you know, offered to carry it, I mean, there was resistance. Even in the midst of that, there was, no, I've got it. My backpack. I'll carry it. But after a little bit, he handed it over. And when he handed it over, what was the result? The result was that whining turned into joy, right? That lagging behind turned into leaping and sprinting ahead down the trail, stopping to watch bugs go across, looking at trees, looking at flowers, observing the world, laughter. You know, it's a complete change. Why? Because he humbled himself and he gave his burden to his dad. And it didn't weigh anything to me it was not a problem for me to carry and the result was joy what do we what do we what burdens do we bring into the room this morning sometimes when i come it's it's strange to stand up here sometimes and look out and to see that these are people looking back at me and there's more burdens and more anxieties than i could ever imagine in this room this morning and we have to ask ourselves the honest question that this passage asks us. Is, Are we carrying our burdens because we're too prideful to give them over? Are we clinging to our anxieties? Have you found yourself to be a continually, habitually anxious person? And if so, is it, can you be honest enough to look and trace it back and say, is it because the root of my anxiety is I don't believe He cares? And if I don't believe He cares, then I better start working. I better start doing something. I better take control of my life. I better be in charge. I better be good. Because it's up to me. You see, pride, that pride, leads to anxiety. Because if the burdens and the anxieties of this world are on you, you're going to have a hard time sleeping. And I'm not telling you anything you don't already know, right? Are you carrying maybe the burden of a marriage that's stale. That's just, you're living as roommates, you talk to one another when something has to get done, where the kids have to be dropped off somewhere, but there's nothing else there, and and you've come to the point where you go, I don't know what else to do. And have you thought maybe that's a good place to be? When you get to the point where you say, I don't know what else to do. Because maybe it reveals that in your life, it's all been about what you know to do. And maybe it's time to turn and say, I don't know what to do, God. I know you care for me, and I'm casting this anxiety on you. And that might seem pie in the sky, and I don't know what's going to come next. But isn't that where at least it starts? Maybe it's with our kids. Maybe you've read the books, and you've done the seminars, and you've, you've, seen, you've, you've done all the things that good parents are supposed to do, and you still feel like you don't know why your kid is such a mess. Have you given these things over to Him? Have we cast our anxieties upon Him? You know who, this will surely come as a huge shock to you, I'm sure, some of the people who are most anxious are pastors, people like me. And the reason that pastors are usually very anxious people is because they look out and they see people who they're supposed to care for, and they see burdens and they see anxieties and there's something that happens sometimes in pastors where they make a really bad mistake. Where Instead of taking those people and their burdens to Jesus, they take those burdens and they put them on themselves. And they feel like, well, I'm supposed to be Jesus. And those of you who are here today, maybe it doesn't just have to be pastors. It's anybody who really ministers to anyone else, which is what we're all called to do. Maybe a community group leader, maybe a host, maybe an elder, maybe a deacon. Sometimes the people who look the most spiritual and maybe even look the most humble because they're always scurrying around helping people, the reason they're doing that is because they're so driven by their pride and they love the thought of people praising for it and they're having a really hard time sleeping at night because they're putting all the burdens on themselves. It's not true of everyone, but it happens. It happens to pastors a lot. It happens to me. What does it mean to take those anxieties and take those burdens and not be Jesus, but to give them to Jesus? To not have people trust in me, but to trust in Him. Or not have people trust in you, but to trust in Him. To come alongside people with their burdens and guide them to the one who can actually do something about them. Who can actually care for them. If you're in a position today of ministry or spiritual leadership and you're wrought with anxiety, it's because of your pride. And I know that. Not because I've read cases of it, because I've experienced it. And it's time to repent of that. But we could say that about all of our anxieties, couldn't we? If we if we trace our anxieties back to their roots, then what we're going to find is a pride that says, I will make myself something. I will do this on my own. I'll prove my worth through what I do. I'll prove my worth through my performance. And you know the results of that kind of life. As subconscious as that thinking sometimes is, the results of that life is sleepless nights. The result does turn into um, vices. You know, whether they be um, very taboo vices or whether they be very acceptable vices, things that just soothe you, that calm you. It turns into isolation often of being ashamed because you feel like you should be in a place where you're not and your pride is being offended. And so what you most want to do is just not... Have to talk to other people and you want to avoid them. If we trace, if we're honest enough this morning to trace our anxiety back, we'll find that it actually has its root in our pride. But if we trace our joy back, if we look at the, the moments of true joy, what we'll find of real joy, the, the root of it is humility. Because it, the root of true joy is. You'll find that you were at a place when you realized you could not do it, that you couldn't carry the backpack any longer. You handed it over to your daddy who was rocking right next to you, who cares for you, who wants to carry it for you. And what happened is that you began to leap. Have you had those moments? I mean, maybe when you're just driving down the road and <clears throat> it hits you, God cares for me, I see it in the cross, I see it in the resurrection. I see it because of what He's done for me. And there's this joy that comes up. And the things that you were worrying about maybe a few hours before, they seem very, very small in comparison. When when is the last time you felt that joy? When is the last time you had that moment uh, of clarity where you felt that joy rise up within you? The church as a people, as we live in the world, as a community, that we're not in any way better than the world, that we're not brighter, that we're not more put together at all. We're simply people that have seen that we cannot do it, that we've seen the devastation of our own sin, that we've seen the misery that it's causing us and the people around us, and we've humbled ourselves under the mighty hand of God, and we say, we, ex- we want your grace, we accept your grace. Jesus, this morning, I think we all need to be reminded. He loves to give grace to the humble. He loves to. We see it in the cross. We see it in the way He loves His bride. So this morning, don't don't leave and examine yourself to see if you're humble or not. Look at Jesus instead. Don't stop and say, "Am I humble enough?" Instead. Take your anxieties, begin to look at Him, gaze at Jesus, believe that He cares, and give them over to Him. Because the more satisfied we are in His love, the more humble we become towards one another. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Jesus this morning. We thank You for His humility. And we ask this morning that you would make us more like him, that you would allow us, that you would give us grace to to actually give our anxieties over to you. And Father, I pray that the result of that would be that we, we humble ourselves, that we clothe ourselves with humility towards one another, that we value one another as more important than ourselves. Father, help us to repent of the sin that we need to repent of and run to you. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.